Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. I hope you're all well and that you've had a lovely week. We've got a brilliant guest this week, not from the world of food, which I think is just as exciting. After all, we all eat and what we choose to eat is interesting. So I'm really keen to explore the idea of talking to lots of different people. If you haven't yet left a five-star rating, now is your moment. And your good deed for the week could be recommending Desert Island Dishes to your friends and anyone you think might enjoy it. I love bringing it to you every week and your reviews really do make the world of difference. So thank you. Support for Desert Island Dishes comes this week from Penguin Random House and one of their latest cookbooks, Green by Ellie Pear. Full of no-fuss vegetarian and vegan recipes, from tray bakes to one-pot dishes, lots of recipes you can make in less than 20 minutes, but then also sumptuous brunches and things that you can make when you've got friends coming over. All bases are covered and they're all delicious. They're also the kind of recipes where you don't even really notice that they're vegetarian and vegan. They just all look great. So Green is definitely a cookbook to add to the shopping list this summer. Thank you very much to Penguin Random House. That's all from me. Now, here is today's episode. My guest today is Jacqueline Gold. Jacqueline is one of the UK's most successful businesswomen, a CEO of Anne Summers. Starting at the company at the age of just 19 on an internship, she spotted a gap in the market and worked to reinvent the brand and turn Anne Summers into the juggernaut it is today. Anne Summers now has 125 stores and over 4,000 parties held each week, along with a multi-million pound turnover. She's a strong advocate of female empowerment, has set up the WOW Incentive on Twitter, and was awarded a CBE in 2016. Jacqueline has said, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't pushed the boundaries. I don't want that to be confused with me being somebody who's out to shock people. That's not what I'm trying to achieve, but I do feel like Boudicca sometimes. (laughs) Welcome, Jacqueline. It's great to be here, Margie. (laughs) Such a pleasure to meet you. And I have so many questions. You've done so many amazing things. But with this being Desert Island Dishes, I wondered what role has food played in your life? Do you eat to live or live to eat? Oh, I do love my food. (laughs) I really do. And probably like most women are, you know, constantly, you know, battling with the the joys of eating and, um, you know, living on the run and, and all of those challenges. But I do, I do genuinely like food. I genuinely like cooking. I'm a very creative person. And it was so interesting when you asked me to do this because, you know, like music reminds you of certain things, food does exactly the same. Completely. Um, so, yeah, I was really, really looking forward to doing this today. That's so nice to hear. I mean, you are one of the world's busiest women. Do you get a lot of time to cook? I would love to cook more than I do. So the answer to that would be no, I don't get enough time to cook. But I have a little routine. Um, in the mornings, I prepare all of the food for the eat for dinner okay, and my food for the day. So I prep it all. And then just because we should be sharing the chores, my husband then cooks it in the evening. Amazing. Um, although sometimes he does try and uh, put his own spin. <laughs> and I, I find it, I'm, 
I find it very difficult to let him just do it. He goes, but I really love onions. I want to put two more in. I'm going, oh, I don't think that's, <laughs> you shouldn't do that. It's going to spoil the recipe. Yeah, so he's going freestyle. <laughs> yeah, a bit too much. <laughs> so I think on that note, let's just dive straight into the first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Well, the dish that most reminds me of my childhood is my grandmother's rock cakes. Ooh, it was me. just the moment I saw the question, I just thought, absolutely, this this is the dish. Um, because I did actually spend a lot of time at my grandmother's house. She lived in Bywood Avenue, um, which is uh, close to West Wickham. Oh, yeah. And um, she had a, a small, I mean, the house was quite small and it had a small garden. The kitchen was especially tiny. And I remember there being a coal bunker outside and sort of the basics, you know, the, the, the kitchen sink, uh, very basic. She had a spinneret, I think, to do the, the washing in. So she must have done the washing by hand, put it in the spinneret. And then there was this line above. We had a coal fire and this tiny dining table pushed up against the wall where my sister and I, who's seven years younger than me, would, you know, every time we stayed there, there would always be these rock cakes. Oh, amazing. Um, and it was it really did bring back some nice memories because I don't normally think about that period of my life. Yeah. But you know, the sort of the, uh, I did a lot of gardening for her as well. I used to love going in the garden and helping, you know, to keep it nice. And I remember the honeysuckle bushes and the roses smelt beautiful. So Yes, that did bring back a really, yeah, I, feel, I feel like I'm really nice in, memory. Are you there? Yeah, I am. I'm <laughs> in your grandmother's kitchen. That's incredible. In all the interviews I've read, you talk about not having the easiest of childhoods and you talk of being a very shy child. But interestingly, you say you aren't born shy. No one is, which I hadn't really thought about before, but I guess that's true, isn't it? It is so true. We are not born shy. And I think the trouble is if you start childhood like that, which I did, People keep telling you that you're shy. And the more they tell you, the more you believe it. Yeah, that's so true. And then it's not, I mean, you know, how can I be shy now doing what I do? You know, and it wasn't until at the age of 21 when I'd already, I'd started the business. I'd probably been in business about a year, built up the party plan. I had 500 uh, sales ambassadors. And then I thought, right, so what we do now is we get them all together. We create an event and I want to reward those that are doing really well and, and being successful on stage. So I remember um, I had the, I think it's called, is it Grand Hotel in Brighton? I think it's called. <clears throat> anyway, a big hotel in Brighton. And I remember standing backstage thinking, oh my God, I am so nervous. Oh, really? Oh, so nervous. What, and why did I think this was going to be a good idea? <laughs> I was absolutely terrified. But I, I have always been a, a believer, you know, if you, you make that one step out of your comfort zone and the moment you do it, I went onto stage, saw all of these women waiting to hear what I had to say. And I think that once you do it, and if you're doing something that you feel really passionate about, it actually comes so much easier than you think it, it is going to. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and they want to hear you and they want to be inspired. And afterwards, I felt amazing and I thought, oh my God, I did that. Whereas if you go through life believing you are shy, you're never going to be able to do that. So mm. you have to, you do have to put yourself outside your comfort zone to do it. I read something you said where you say um, courage comes before confidence, which is so true. And I guess that's kind of the premise behind the fake it till you make it. <laughs> it, it is. But I, I mean, that's, you know, a lot of people will say I'm very resilient, which is true also. But 
courage is is the one thing I've always had in a number of scenarios. And courage, like in belief in yourself or just in many different scenarios? I think, yeah, I think if you really believe in what you're doing, you know, if you if you're really passionate about what you're doing and you really believe in what you're doing is right, then you have to, you have to follow your gut instinct. And it takes courage to do that. Completely. You know, I mean, I've been arrested and I was told if I didn't take that, it was at the Women's World Exhibition where I had a stand and I was told if I didn't take that stand down, I would, they would press charges. Oh my goodness. Didn't that happen to you twice? It happened to me <laughs> twice. But on this particular occasion, I thought, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. And I'm going to stay here. And I did. And of course, they didn't come back and, arrest, uh, and charge me. So we have to stand, you know, we have to stick with what we believe in. And that, that obviously takes courage. Yeah, I guess it's also a case of practice, isn't it? Sort of, the, you, know, you did that and <laughs> yeah. you learned that nothing actually yeah, bad and the happened. More, but the more you do it, the, the confidence will grow. Yeah, the easier it gets. So you had a lot of jobs as a teenager. You worked in hairdressers, you worked as a waitress, you worked at Royal Dalton, and you worked really hard both on your confidence, but also feeling empowered by having your own money. What did you grow up thinking you might do for a job? Was there a dream at that point? Well, I, as I said earlier, I was very creative um, and I do like, you know, being creative. I, I thought I was going to be a window dresser. I studied art A-level. That was sort of the direction I was going to go in. Okay. And it's interesting because I, I, I talk often at schools and give career advice and you've already heard me use the word passion, but I think you have to follow your passion in life. That's where you will be most successful. And whilst I loved doing creative things, you know, that was the career advice I was given, be a window dresser. But I went to work at Ann Summers for, for work experience. I had no intention of staying. But during my short time there, I was invited to a Pippa D party in Thamesmead. And um, it was kind of like a Tupperware party, but with clothes. Yes, yes. Correct. And it was uh, in a big high rise block of flats. I remember, you know, getting to the top of this um, block of uh, block of flats and there was a room full of probably 15 women all just squished together on <laughs> on uh, sofas, you know, waiting to see the clothes being brought out. But what was interesting is the women at the party, some of them knew that I worked at Ann Summers. Oh, they did. And they were saying to me, why don't you do Ann Summers parties? We would love to be able to buy things, you know, from your stores or but we're too embarrassed to go into them. You know, it, it was, it was a man's world. Then women didn't go into shops like that. And I really understood they wanted to spice up their love lives, but were, t were not empowered to do it. Yeah. And I tried a few parties myself and then I became more and more passionate about this idea. So was it and a real light bulb moment? Completely. And I, and I made this decision. It was going to be just for women only. And of course, then there was, you know, if you don't mind me going on, there was the story where I took the idea to the board. Yeah, no, I want to ask you about that. Yeah, and it was like, I remember at 20, I'm 21 now and I'm walking down this long corridor, terrified again, but I felt passionate about it. So I'm thinking, no, I'm going to do it. That's where the courage comes in. I go into the room full of grey suited, middle-aged men all sitting around this table, wait my turn. And then I start to talk about my idea. And I said, look, I've tried some parties myself. I know women would love this. And you could see they all looked very puzzled, very, you know, <laughs> uh, didn't really get it. In fact, one board member actually stood up and I can see him now. This is like 35 years ago or whenever. I can see him now. He threw his pen down on the table and he said to me, well, this isn't going to work, is it? Why? 
women aren't even interested in sex. Oh, is what he said. <laughs> oh, indeed. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, this says a lot more about your sex life. Yeah, but and it does about my idea. He said that in front of a whole boardroom of men. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, I've got to be respectful here because I need the funding. And um, obviously, you know, when you're passionate, eventually they agree to to give me the money. So. God, such an incredible story. Okay, let's pause there just for a second and talk about the second Desert Island dish. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. Well, I got married very young. I was only 20. Too early, by the way, for anybody <laughs> uh, thinking about trying it. And um, I married uh, a man, Tony, who uh, was working for De Beers, was very successful. and uh, But he came from a Catholic family and he was very traditional and liked his meat and two veg. So my first dish was a roast dinner, a traditional roast dinner. Um, and, but, you know, as much as I liked cooking, as our marriage went on, you know, it wasn't really, I was very ambitious. Yeah. And I had great ideas about the business and I loved cooking, but I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mum. At that time, I wasn't ready to do that. Um, and I guess that sort of, you know, showed my ambition, but it's where we, we change, don't we, in life? Yeah. You know, we remain friends, but, um, we were together for about 10 years. Um, but it sort of, you know, my life went in a different direction. Yeah. I'm always so impressed when people say a roast was their first thing that they learned to cook. Cause it's quite complicated with all the different timings. Was it just something you picked up or were you Well, it, it was difficult. I mean, my mum was a good cook actually. Okay. So was my grandmother. Um, so I guess I probably did kick, uh, pick up some things from them, but I was sort of felt under pressure. You know, you want to be the perfect wife, yeah, don't course. you? <laughs> I mean, listen, I am a recovering perfectionist, but I How went, are you doing with that? Uh, <laughs> listen, I, I absolutely, there is no such thing as perfect. No. Absolutely no such thing. So I'm glad to be recovering. And uh, I think it's important because I just don't want to pass that trait on to my daughter. Yes. But I was per a perfectionist then, you know, I remember bringing home a, my, my case from work was a, actually a pilot's case oh wow Have you ever seen <laughs> seen a pilot's case it's like massive and I put all this work in it of course had there was no way I was going to get through it all but you, we put ourselves under so much pressure and I wanted to be the perfect wife cooking the perfect dinner and you know it's a lot yeah it was it was tough okay so to go back to the beginning it was your dad who brought the company and at that time there were two Ann Summer shops and the brand in 1970. And then as you've already said, you went there on work experience at the age of just 19. Going in as what was then the boss's daughter, was that at all difficult? Oh my God, it was horrible. <laughs> was it? it was horrible. <laughs> I hated it because first of all, I didn't have the best relationship with my dad at that time. So my parents split up when I was 12 Dad sort of used to come round religiously once a week to see myself and my sister. And there'd be this awkward hour where we'd sit in a room and my mum's boyfriend would walk through every now and again. And it just was really awkward. There was like, in those days, four channels on the TV, I think. So there wasn't even a, a choice of deep. You couldn't even sit down and watch a film <laughs> because there was no such thing. You had um, to talk. <laughs> and, it, and we had to talk and we had nothing to talk about. And it was just awkward. So then I wanted to, as you know, go and work there for work experience. And because of the type of business it was, I had no intention of staying. It was very male-orientated. 
obviously the the customer base were men there were a couple of shops which were aimed at men um and it it just wasn't the environment i wanted to be in and how did it come about in the first place was your dad did he just say oh this will be a good thing for you to do sort of as you're figuring out what you want to do oh it's sort of pretty much because i was working at royal dalton i'd been offered a management role there i was doing quite well but it wasn't stimulating enough for me it it, it just i decided to leave i used working at ann summers as a stopgap to develop my skills in fact it wasn't really ann summers it was a publishing company my father had a publishing company we actually only had, or he only had two stores. So Anne Summers was was tiny in comparison then. Okay. And I remember my when I started advertising in the London Evening Standard, after I'd got the funding, I then started going up to the Strand Palace Hotel once a week in my mustard-coloured mini. <laughs> we grew to 500 party ambassadors within one year. I think my first year's turnover was something like £82,000, which was a lot of money then. Um, And it was growing so fast, we had to stop advertising to try and get, because I was doing all of the training myself, I was recruiting myself, I was doing the packing, the invoices myself. So I had to really slow it down before I could. I mean, your dad must have just been watching you in awe. Because when you went into the boardroom, I was thinking about it, you weren't just going with a business pitch, which is quite intimidating anyway. You were kind of going there telling telling them that they needed to go in a different direction, which is such a difficult thing to do. And you were so young and, you know, you were a woman, which kind of everything was against you. You know, I, I, it's funny because this is a story my father tells, so he won't mind me saying it. When I was born, he cried because he wished he'd had a boy. Oh, no. What? Yeah, because because my dad is now eight. Say tears of joy. No, 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 unfortunately not. <laughs> Sorry to spoil, to spoil that for everybody. But, he, you know, my dad was born in 1936. You know, people then, it, businesses were run by men. And if you wanted somebody to follow in your footsteps, it would be your son. So, of course, when his daughter was born, it was like oh, a combination, I'm sure, of joy, tears of joy, <laughs> but also disappointment. And I think he would say now at that time, that was a moment when he had so much pride to see that I was doing something, contributing in a way he never expected. And to, to also, I had a lot of criticism around that time for, from colleagues of his saying, oh, this is a fad. Give it two years. It won't last. And of course, it was growing at an incredible 20, like 20% a year rate, which for something so different yeah. and cultural changing, you know, that I'm pr- so proud of that, that it's, you know, Anne Summers is a, a, a British heritage. It's a British institution and it's changed culture and the way people think about sex. Yeah, no, you're so right. It's, it's an incredible brand, but it's, it's done things culturally that other brands could never even dream of. It's amazing. You've worked with both your father and your sister. How's that been? Um, <laughs> it, it's, gr- I have to say it's great. I mean, I think there are to say that. Uh, no, I don't have to. I don't have to. (laughs) No, you're right. I don't have to say it's great, but I will say it's great because we are very, very fortunate. My sister and I, particularly, are so aligned in our vision, our strategy for the future. You know what we want the business to to look like and the journey that we're taking it on. You know that uh, my sister's the MD, and that is so important. And we're both well. All three of us are so passionate about the business. Obviously, my father's 82 now and needs a little coaching from time to time because he still has, you know, whilst he is incredibly inspiring to me, 
you know, he obviously comes from a different generation where things are done differently. And I think he's been brilliant as we've uh, as we've taken him on our journey um, and, and the way we do things differently. That's amazing that you've all been able to do it together. It makes it even better, doesn't it? Let's talk about the third desert island dish. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. Well, I'm going to jump the, the story uh, line here a little okay. bit because... <laughs> The, honestly, the best dish I've ever eaten is I had black cod at Sexy Fish mm. in London. And this was a very special occasion for me because it was, and you mentioned in your introduction, it was when I, I was received my CBE from the Queen, which is an incredible, I, I can't, it, you know, it's a, one of the highlights of my entire life other than having my daughter uh, Scarlet is just a highlight of my career um, because to be recognized for something you feel so passionate about, you know, entrepreneurship, social enterprise, and female empowerment, women in business was just amazing. And so I celebrated it at the Sexy Fish with all my friends, my family, and people that had supported me, my team. So it, it was, it was incredible. And the day itself was at Windsor Castle, oh. a beautiful sunshine, sunny day. And my daughter would have been seven at the time. And I'm a great advocate. I've, I've done this many times, actually. I took Scarlett along with me, took her out of school because it was so important for me, for her to see mummy be recognized in this yeah. way. I did it when she was five years old. I took her to one of my public speaking events because I wanted her to see mummy on stage. And no, this is normal. This is not just something that men do. And there's there's been other occasions too. So, you know, this this is a. I absolutely love black cod now. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> uh, and all thanks to sexy fish. Well, yeah, that's going to bring back the best memories anytime you have it. That's such an incredible story. So the golden question is, I guess, was Anne Summers a real person? And I have actually done some digging around, so I know that it's a brilliant story. But can you tell it to us? Um, well. There was a lady called Anise Goodwin, who, if I just go back a little bit further, actually, the first Anne Summers shop was owned by a man called Kim Waterfield. Uh, his real, well, his real name was Kim Waterfield, but he was known as Dandy Kim okay. because he was a real man about town character. You know, he was a real womanizer. He dated Princess Margaret. He was engaged to Diana Dawes. And uh, he was this sort of real man about town character. And he opened the store which he called Anne Summers because he felt that depicted the image of an English rose. And Anise, who was a very attractive blonde lady at the, uh, at the time, unfortunately she's passed away, but she, she changed her name by Depot from Anise Goodwin <laughs> so that the, the store had a fi uh, figurehead. That's incredible. Yeah. And what he used to do was, um, unfortunately, within less than a year, the shop went into voluntary liquidation. Oh, no. Because what he was doing, he was just like flying around the country on his helicopter. He'd land it in Hyde Park Corner. He'd rush in, grab the day's takings. This was in Marble Arch. And then he'd rush off to the races. Oh, no. So it's not surprising <laughs> that it all went terribly wrong. <laughs> but and, she'd already changed her name. Yeah. <laughs> and my, my father, as you know, uh, had a publishing business. So he bought the store and the name for just £10,000, <gasps> which is awesome. Best deal I think we've ever yeah. done. And these then she got involved in a terrible car crash, oh, no. but there, there is a happy ending to that. She then married an American millionaire, went off to live in Italy for the rest of her life. Oh. And, uh, um, um, you know, 
Yeah, incredible. And is had Dandy a, and obviously has a great story behind it. Yeah. Well. Did Dandy Waterfield live to see what you turned Dan Summers into? Uh, he certainly did, and um, you know he was a he was a lo- lovable rogue. I I probably would describe him okay. as because he was quite a a difficult character, and we've had a couple of altercations ourselves. Okay. <laughs> in our in his lifetime, but um, I think he passed away a couple of years ago. Okay. You often say that Anne Summer's journey has been an extremely colourful one and that you've certainly faced your fair share of obstacles. You've already said that you've been arrested twice. You also received a bullet in the post and you took the government to court. I mean, receiving a bullet in the post must have been truly terrifying. How did that come about? Well, I was trying to open a store in Ireland. We'd been operating the party plan in Ireland hugely successfully. The sales per head per party in Ireland were much greater than here in the UK. So I knew a store would be really successful. But the Dublin Corporation, sort of the equivalent of our council, were not so keen on the idea. They were trying everything they possibly could to stop me from opening the store. So in the end, I actually invited them over to the UK. I wanted them to see our operation, take them around our stores, see what we were trying to do. And it's quite a long story, but I'll try and keep it short and interesting because they they came across, Alan and Kieran were their names, and they really had their own agenda. You know, whilst I spent the day with them, when they left, I realised they, they had their own agenda and nothing was going to change that. In fact, their passing words to me were, if you go ahead with the store opening, we cannot be held responsible for what might happen to you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and it was quite chilling. Yeah. So when I received the bullet through the post a week before the opening and obviously nothing to do with them, you you would forgive me. I'm sure listeners would forgive me for um, thinking twice about going ahead with yeah, it. Yeah, completely. But I, you know, I just thought, no, I absolutely believe in this. I am going to go and open this store. I went to open the store. I was actually invited on the, um, I can't think what it's called, called now, but it's a big chat show out okay. there. Is it the Late Late Show? Yes, yes, yeah. Late Late Show. Thank you. And I went on that show again, quite terrified because I'd never done any media before. And I remember looking into the audience and seeing this Patrick, uh, not Patrick, Alan and Kieran sitting at the front of the stage. Oh my goodness. And then one of them stood up and started talking and saying, this is terrible. You know, Anne Summers should never come here. And I'm thinking, God, what have I done? You know, as in, what have I done coming on this show? And it was amazing because then a a woman in the audience and it's like a theatre audience where it goes up and the woman at the back, right at the top, she's pointing down at Kieran saying, how dare you tell us where we can and can't shop? Oh my God, amazing. And then the whole sort of audience were like, all the women were all like getting together and it was amazing. And we had like 10,000 people through the day <gasps> on the first day of opening, all signing our petition. That's great. And the great thing is our Dublin store is not only in our top three performing stores now, but it's also on the tourist bus route, Oh my! I think <laughs> means you're absolutely there. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> okay, let's pause there and talk about maybe the most important question of the day. It's the fourth Desert Island dish. Jacqueline, what is your favourite sandwich? Well, <laughs> my favourite sandwich, actually, if I can say, has to be Victoria sandwich. Well, yeah, because okay. I've got such a sweet. Tea. That's a very good answer. I like that. But I've got, <laughs> I've got, I have got the the proper answer. But that really, if I had a choice, it would be that. And that just reminds me of my childhood as well, yeah. doesn't it? Victoria sandwiches. It's- Especially if they're light and fluffy. Mm, anyway, so you can tell I'm hungry. <laughs> no, I I would go for the traditional cheese and pickle but the cheese has to be grated 
Okay, yeah. No slabs of cheese, definitely grated cheese on nice fluffy white bread, which I know is not super healthy. Um, And actually, I don't eat bread that often. But when I do have a sandwich, it reminds me of my daughter's school sports day. Because we all, all the parents, you know, we have that period in the orchard before the actual sports day starts. And we all bring our picnics and our blankets and our chairs. And it's almost like this competition, who's got the best, um, the, the, the best kit. And of course, we're always at the bottom of the list. But, and we're sort of like trying to borrow other people's blankets. But that always reminds me of cheese sandwich. That's competitive picnicking. I, I like the sound <laughs> of that. I just wonder through all the mentoring that you've done, have you noticed anything with the younger generations that success is sort of how they define themselves by and I think your whole story is so interesting because it has it has been a long time and it has there have been challenges as as we've already covered you know you've been arrested and these various other things but do you think do you think the younger generation are going to work as hard as previous generations I don't see why not I think that it goes back to how passionate they are about their businesses and it depends on the path that they take in life Mm. And for me, you know, I, I sort of come back to my own passion really here is about is about women in business. I think what I've found, you know, so refreshing but still challenging is that over the years from my, you know, when I, when I started out in business 35 years ago, the only role models I had was Anita Roddick from Body Shop yeah. and Debbie Moore from uh, Pineapple, oh, yeah. uh, Pineapple Studios. So there weren't, you know, and what I want to see is more and more women because that's, you know, sort of the area that I'm focused on. I see so much appetite for success and for doing well. For me, the challenge is not so much about whether they'll work hard enough. It's about whether they're overcoming the barriers that sometimes stand in their way, you know, and I think that it's a lot of it is around confidence. It's about social conditioning. I mean, how women, how many women are told to get a proper job when they decide to start out their own business? (laughs) You know, you'd never say that to a man, would you? So we need to stop bringing boys up to be brave and girls to be perfect. You know, we need to change that culture. We we need to, uh, you know, it's no surprise, is it, that by the time a young man reaches the boardroom, he expects the woman in the room to pour the tea. Oh, and, do you know, as a CEO, I can tell you, we're not impressed about who pours the tea. We're impressed about who contributes in the room. You know, I, I want to see somebody that contributes and puts their ideas forward, even if I don't want to go with those ideas. So it's really about standing out and, and putting your stake in the ground. And, you know, there's more that can be done to help women not play down their achievements. And even for successful women like ourselves, it's so important that we raise our head above the parapet, that we shout about our success and boldly celebrate everything that we have achieved to inspire other women around us. Yeah, well, you are doing more than your fair share on that account. It is very inspiring. Let's talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. Well, I I would say, I mean, I do like variety. Yeah. My favorite food item, by the way, is avocado. Ooh, yeah. Um, so I tend to have a, avocado for lunch. I love is that it. why you have such amazing skin? Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I do, I do juice a lot, so maybe it's that. But, you know, I've had health issues. There's no secret that I've, um, I've had breast cancer. And so that is life-changing. You know, when something like that happens, you think, okay, what can I do to live a healthier life? You know, I do saunas, I do yoga, I walk, I walk loads. 
I'm training to do the West well, the West Highland Way at this time next year, which oh, wow. is a hundred miles. Oh so, my goodness! How long will uh, that take? Um, it will take a week. Okay. Yeah, so oh. I'm going to do it over seven days. <gasps> That's incredible. So I think you know I'm doing all of those different things, juicing, and so my diet has changed. You know, I eat I don't eat very much meat. I'm not really into the meat and two veg or the the roast dinners anymore. But I do like cooking a stir fry with lots of colorful vegetables, whether that be a chicken sweet and sour or a, you know, a teriyaki. So I just think it's about those lovely flavors. And so I probably would say I'd go for the stir fry. Okay. That's a very good option. I also very like, very much like the idea of you prepping everything in the morning. Yes. <laughs> you can see me doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you set up the Working Women Initiative. Wow. Which is, is, am I right that that's mainly based on Twitter? Yes. So my, my wow initiative is it started about seven years ago. I got myself on Twitter and I just noticed that so many female, I was being followed by a lot of business people, a lot of female entrepreneurs, a lot of West Ham fans as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, the female entrepreneurs, you know, constantly asking for what, advice. And and I just was so inspired by that. And I thought, I, I wonder if I can do more. So I decided to set up this com- uh, competition where women tweet me their business every every Wednesday, which is Women on Wednesday. And then I'll trail through the hundreds of uh, replies and I'll select my the real standouts for me and then I'll showcase them and I've set up a, a, um, a Facebook community and it really has turned into a community That's because so they really support each other and it's just they trade with each other and we do lots of things to support them during the year funny enough I'm actually going to um Straight from here, I'm going to a wow lunch. Oh, you are? So I do my mentoring lunch once a year for my top over three overall winners. How do you pick them? It is so hard. Yeah, It is so hard, but I've got some awesome ladies today. And it'll be fantastic because we'll be sitting there, we'll be talking about their achievements, what their journey is, what their story is. Because I think we underestimate how important our story is. Mm. That, that, you know, that today people want to, they want to face that goes with the brand. They want to know why that brand came about. And I think we, you know, we need to engage ourselves with our customers and take them on that journey. Completely. And it's so helpful when someone else kind of points out to you what the interesting bits of your story are, because you're just living life. It's quite hard to see that for yourself, but it's so important. I mean, I think the latest figures show that less than 4% of companies funded by venture capitalists are founded by women, which is so shocking, isn't it? Yeah, that is terrible. Yeah. So terrible. You know, this just shows that there is a bias towards women when it comes to funding and investment. And, you know, this is why when we talk about female empowerment, whether it be in the workplace or business, it is not job done. And there are so many people that I think, you know, think that, oh, we ticked that box. Well, we definitely haven't. No, it's going to be a work in progress. But hopefully also that means it should be an exciting time to be a woman, a woman, because if people are aware of those statistics, they're going to be trying to work against them maybe. So we've got to try and take advantage of that. Yeah, I think it is a good time to be a woman. You know, even if you talk about the whole Me Too campaign, which obviously is negative, but at the same time, you know, it's given women a voice. Women will speak up now. They're happy to talk about challenges that they've had. They know they'll be believed. It's It means that boundaries have moved, that men and women respect each other differently and equally and we need this to transfer itself into business and the workplace 
as well. And there is still more to be done. And we need to address that, not just the social bias I mentioned earlier, but the female bias, the business bias, and the effect that it has on our economy. Mm. I wanted to ask you about imposter syndrome, because that's something that people talk about a lot. Have you ever or do you ever still feel it? Just whenever I hear this question, it, it always reminds me of a dinner that I was at with Vince Cable, who's now obviously the leader of the Liberal Party. And he, the, there was a journalist, journalist there that actually asked him if he ever had suffered from <laughs> imposter syndrome. Oh my God, what was Which his he answer? Was very like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but of course, we know that women do suffer from imposter syndrome. And this goes back to the fact that women feel, or many women feel, that they need to have multiple validation to any opportunity that's put their way, whether that's uh, a job promotion. Oh my God, I don't know if I'm good enough. Uh, whether they're, you know, whether they're thinking of going for a pay rise, should I ask, shouldn't I ask, whether it's a business decision. And I think that's so sad and we have to change that obviously by role models, but also women themselves, I think need to think about, you know, you put yourself in the shoes of the CEO if you're talking yourself out of a job promotion, of course they're going to think you're not good enough. So you, we can't always blame those male leaders out there. It's yeah. A lot of it is what they are hearing. And a tip I would just like to give women uh, for, to over, help overcome this, because this is something that I did do when I was younger. It was before email then, though. So I would suggest that women today, they email themselves a list of all of the achievements they've ever made. And keep adding to that email as time goes on, all of the achievements in their personal life and, and in their professional life. And then every time you're going to do something that you feel is going to give you a wobble or is going to be challenging, whether it's speaking on stage, going to a networking event, feeling intimidated, going into a board meeting for the first time, read back that email to yourself and just remind yourself of how awesome you really are. I like that. That's a great tip. I'm going to do that this afternoon. Let's talk about the sixth desert island dish, and that's your go-to dinner party dish. Ah, right. So this this is interesting because I do like cooking, and in the old days I would do you know the formal dinner and put loads and loads of work into it. But because I like being creative, um, I really like entertaining outdoors. Ooh. And um, where I live now, I've got beautiful views and I'm just in the middle of building this sort of courtyard area. I love barbecues, but I like to do barbecues slightly differently. Okay. So I don't want to go, I'm, as much as I like burger and sausages, <laughs> I think we just need to be a bit more adventurous. And I love cooking, you know, a roast lamb on the barbecue. And I particularly love doing lots of dishes that are great presentation. Okay. So whether that be croissant stuffed with, you know, camembert and melted cheese and, and mushrooms or big fruit, I do these big dramatic fruit platters that look really enticing, even to the point where when my daughter was growing up, I went through a stage where every weekend I would create this fruit platter of lots of different fruits, all in different, I cut them in different shapes just to encourage her to eat them. God, I and I, it, it did, I, I don't have to do that now. She's just <laughs> so into her fruit. Well, so I'm uh, kind of imagining you almost like a wood whittler, but with fruit. Is that <laughs> <laughs> a bit like that? <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose I'm, it was a bit like that. It was a bit of craftsmanship. I think it was my sort of me thinking back to my days of wanting to be a a, a shop 
designer <laughs> shop dresser. Yeah. And I'm taking it out on the fruit salad. So uh, <laughs> no, but that all sounds delicious. So yeah, and perfect season for the barbecue style dinner parties. Yeah. yeah, that sounds amazing. Okay, on Desert Island Dishes, we have a cookbook corner and we ask everyone to tell us what is your most treasured cookbook? Right, so I was given this as a wedding present. I've been married twice. This is my first marriage okay. to Tony. It was the A to Z, a collection of super cookbooks. And um, I didn't. I, I, I googled it this morning to see who it was, who it was by, and I think it's still going. So okay. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's obviously encouraging. But it was just it's this amazing collection which I still have. They're all all discolored. They're all sort of yellow instead of white any, anymore. But it's got everything in there, absolute everything. There isn't a dish, and and all the cuts of meat and all the different fish and what to do. It was always my savior of what to do. However, I must admit, as time has gone on. I think Pinterest is a brilliant way to create your own recipe book. So what I tend to do is where I, you know, I look at my, think about my favorite foods like avocado and I'll go on Pinterest and in the evenings if my husband is watching TV or whatever, and I'll search for dishes that you can make with avocado and then just save them to my, my own little pin board. Yeah. That to me is is sort of better creating your own. Yeah, so fun. Pinterest it's more fun. Yeah, genius. It's, it's not better, it's more fun. Yeah. Okay, we're on to the final seventh desert island dish, and that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. Okay, so I absolutely love lobster. Oh, don't So worry. for me, it would be a grilled lobster with chips and probably zucchini fries, because I love Ooh. them too. And actually, I was telling you about my wow ladies, yeah. who I'm taking to the Ivy for lunch today, and they do exactly that dish. Oh my god! So you're going to have that the desert exactly, island dish, <laughs> and I'm going to be, do you know, I'm going to be absolutely starving by the time I get there after this. And the best thing of all is you don't have to go to Desert Island afterwards. So. I don't. <laughs> if I had to take something, this is a bit boring, I know, because I know everybody's thinking I'm going to take something else. But I do like my good night's sleep, so I will be taking a very comfortable pillow. Sorry to disappoint everyone. <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to say there. Now I just worked out what you were saying. Um, are you going to finish your lobster meal off with a pudding? Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, so many puddings. You can tell I've got a sweet tooth. I mean, I love creme brulee. Oh, yes. Oh, God, I could eat so many puddings right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I like those Scandinavian frozen berries where they pour the Ooh, the hot the white, hot chocolate. white chocolate over the top that's yeah. good as well maybe you can have i mean you're going to the desert island so you can just have, just it have all. both yeah. yeah i think so yeah um jacqueline gold those are your desert island dishes thank you so much oh thank you so much margie thank you so there we have it another delicious day of desert island dishes don't forget you can find me on instagram at margie Nomura. if you're listening and you haven't yet left a review please do as it really does give the show a little boost and you will make my day thank you so much for listening don't forget you can visit the website desertislanddishes.co for all the recipes and lots of kitchen tips and tricks bye